Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to Real Life Church. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Lovely to have you with us um, today. We're going to be carrying on in our series in the Gospel of John. We've got to ch- chapter 16, which we're going to finish out today. Before we do that, I just want to um, tell you about an event we had Friday night, a couple of nights ago, over at the Costa Coffee at Windley. We had some of our musicians play, and we basically let them off the leash and say, play what you want, have fun, and we go and watch some bit of live music, and it was an outstanding event. We had a fantastic time. Uh, we had a bunch of our guys play. We even had a guy, um, Dan's brother Joe, come and play. He's not part of the church, but he came and play, and they did a wonderful uh, musical set for us. Jeremy Wanina did a set um, of songs, which I thought were outstanding. That he actually, I turned out, he wrote himself, which are available on iTunes, which I didn't know, but I went and looked it up, and there they are. Um, so he was brilliant, and then Dave um, rounded out the evening, did some wonderful stuff. Dave also did a, a wonderful rendition of Superstition, didn't it, Stevie Wonder? It was brilliant. It was fantastic. So we had a wonderful time. It's just a great opportunity to come, hang out, hear some live music with friends, and just have an enjoyable evening. We've got another one on December the 12th, which is our Christmas one, with the Christmas theme. So that's going to be packed. Please make sure that date is in your diary. We'll have a wonderful time there. Costa Coffee over at Windley, Acoustic at Costa, 12th of December. All right, back to John's Gospel. What we're going to do today is we're going to round out John chapter 16. And this is the, um, the part of um, the, the section of John where Jesus is giving his final words to disciples. It got kicked off in chapter 13. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then he started talking to them about uh, the fact that he was going and giving them kind of his final words before his impending arrest, um, betrayal, uh, crucifixion, death. Um, And he basically wanted to impart to them. And we're basically finishing that section today. John chapter 17, we'll look at next week, is his prayer when Jesus prays for his followers, which will include us, that we'll look at. But this is the end of that bit. Um, And basically what he's going to talk about today is one of the themes is actually it's good that he goes away. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would be like to have Jesus around personally. When I um, first got saved and I, I, kind of, I started walking in the Christian life and I read the Bible, one of my things I thought about was, wouldn't it be good if I had Jesus with me, like all the time, like he was here? And so when we were facing situations that I had questions, I could just turn around and say, look, Jesus, how do I deal with this? How do I act towards this? What should I think about this? What's your opinion on it? And I thought it would be really good to have sort of Jesus with me as my buddy, kind of going around, going into my sort of life, into my workplace, whatever I was doing, to help me. And I don't know if anyone else has thought like that. But as I kind of matured in faith and reflected on that, and I looked at the life of Jesus, I thought, actually, it might not work out quite like that. Because I wouldn't be alone in that. I'm sure there'd be many others who would think, well, I'd like Jesus with me to come into my life and be in my sort of workplace and be, be in my situation to talk to me. So there would suddenly be demands on his time. And if you look at the gospel, you see crowds followed Jesus. Crowds and crowds of people followed him. And they all wanted a, you know, a few minutes of his time, whether it's to pray for them, whether it's to ask them a question or just to be with him. And so everyone was demanding a bit of Jesus. And so actually the reality is if I was there in Galilee at that time, I probably wouldn't have got a look in because there would have been thousands of others all trying to do the same thing I was trying to do. And then if we look at the life of Jesus, he had 12 special kind of followers, the disciples, who he basically spent more time with than anyone else. And so if you weren't part of that 12, then you're kind of, you're on the outside, which would be me. But then even in the 12, he had had three who were his kind of his inner core Peter, James, and John, they were the ones he kind of went and did extra things with and spent a bit more time with. And then we also read there were plenty of times where Jesus was alone. He said he cleared off 
on his own to pray kind of up the mountain or just get away from people so he could have some alone time to pray to his father. So the chance of me personally getting time with Jesus was very, very small. And so as we look to this, Jesus is, is saying this to his followers and saying, actually, I'm going away, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And the truth I want us to get today, the fact that Jesus went away and he sent someone in his place is a good thing, not only for them, as we in the passage, but for us as his followers, even here and now, um, many um, uh, hundreds of years later. So if you've got your Bible, let's just read that and pick up on that theme as we go through. The other thing I'm just gonna, we're going to touch on as well um, today is the whole doctrine of the Trinity and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as I read this passage, I want you to be think, looking out for the presence of Jesus, as in the Son, when he talks about himself, the Father who will turn up, God the Father, but also God the Holy Spirit. So verse 4, and we're going to just read to the end of the chapter. Jesus speaking, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you'll see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what is that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by a little while you'll not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrow, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. The disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. 
Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is incoming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, um, that, you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All right. Jesus fill, uh, filling out his final words to his disciples. Okay, in this passage, we clearly see the doctrine of the Trinity here. The Trinity is a word used by theologians. It means triunity, three unified, to describe the nature and character of God. It describes what the Bible teaches about God. And the Bible teaches clearly throughout its pages that there is one God. In the Old Testament, we find, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there is one God, very clearly displayed about the Bible. But this God is expressed in three persons, the Bible says. We have in the beginning, there was the Spirit of God hovering over the water. It said, let us make man in our own image. It hints there. And as we go through the Bible, it brings a fuller revelation of that. And we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is how the, the Godhead is expressed. So we have one God in three persons. And each person is fully God. Now, if you think about those three statements, they don't fully add up, but that's okay because it's God and he's outside of our kind of understanding and it shouldn't fully add up to us. Um, But that is what the Bible clearly teaches. In this passage, we have the three persons of the Godhead expressed one after the other. We have God the Holy Spirit, the helper, spirit of truth he's called. We have God the Son, the one who's kind of speaking there. And then we have God the Father he's talking about. And as we go through, I want to look at each, each member of the Trinity through this passage, and then we're going to look at kind of what that means for us and applies to us. So Jesus has just spoken to his disciples, we saw last week, and it was basically a big bad news passage. You're going to face opposition, trial, they're going to want to kill you, and even when they do kill you, they're going to think that's a good thing, because <laughs> they think there's going to be an office, a service of God. So that's kind of what the follow-on is. And doubt that Jesus is bringing in the, to end of his words, and he's kind of bringing an encouragement to them. You're going to face opposition, I'm going to go... Um, but actually, this is all a good thing to them. And they're obviously overcome with grief at this point. They're actually, you know, they're sad. They're hearing, they're, they're hearing that Jesus is leaving them. They're hearing that actually you're going to face a whole bucket load of trouble when I've gone. And actually, I can imagine the, the, the morale of the disciples being very low at that point. But he says, it's good that I go away. It's to your advantage. It's to your benefit that I'm not here with you. And for them, they probably couldn't compute that at that point. They were struggling to sort of understand, how can it be good you're not here? You're the teacher. You're the one we've followed. We're the one you believe, we believe is the Messiah. We, we've given up everything to be with you. We've seen miracles. We've heard teaching. We've heard, we've, we we want to follow you and be with you. And Jesus is saying, I'm going because I'm going to send another to be with you, the helper he's described as the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is going to come and be with you. And this is a fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. If you read through your Old Testament, there'll be hints time and time again of this day that Jesus is talking about. Men and women have yearned for this for hundreds, thousands of years. And Jesus is saying, it's about to happen. I'm going to go and one is going to come who will be with you. And they will be, he'll be with you forever. And if we go back to something like Numbers 11 is one example. There's um, the example of Moses leading the people of Israel. And God had put his spirit on Moses, but only Moses. He was the leader. He was God's chosen. He was leading the Israelites, led them out of captivity into the wilderness. 
And as they were going out in the wilderness, God said, actually, I'm going to put my, the spirit I've put on you, I'm going to put on others, 70 other elders, to help you lead this rebellious people, numbering possibly up to a million. He says, I'm going to give you 70 others who will have the same spirit that I've put on you, and they're going to help you lead. And if you read it, it's a curious example where the spirit of God falls on these other 70 elders, and they prophesy, and, and it's a great time. But then back in the camp, there were two other guys called Eldad and Medad, if you look them up which are funny names, but the Spirit of God also falls on them. And you're like, whoa. And, and, the, and this young boy who's there is like, what? he runs to Moses to grasp, basically, to say, you know the Spirit of God that's fallen on all of you? Well, guess what? Over in the camp, it's fallen on these two other guys, and they're prophesying as well. And Moses' response to the child is telling, he says to him, he says, oh, that all of God's people would be prophets. If all of God's people had the Spirit of God on and they would all prophesy, They'd all speak about the wonders of God um, at that time. And that's hinting, that's pointing back. And then we roll, go through our Old Testament, and there's time after time when God said, I'm going to pour it out. And we read in Joel chapter 2, it says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will all prophesy, and there'll be visions and dreams. And that there will be a coming of an age where it won't be restricted to one person in a particular time for a particular role. It will be poured out on all. And Jesus is saying, that time is coming. And the reason I'm going is so it can happen. Through Jesus, what's going to happen next is sacrificial death on the cross, that opening up of the way. He said, the Spirit of God will come and be with you forever. The helper, the one who draws alongside. It's the same word they used to describe Eve in the garden. God made Adam, he made Eve. Eve as the helper who would stand alongside Adam and, and be with him in his role um, in having dominion over the earth. And he said, the Spirit of God's going to be like that. He's going to be your helper. He will come and be with you, be alongside with you, and be with you forever. And he's saying, that's better than having me around. I'm limited to one time, one place. Here I am. I can't be over there because I'm here, but actually the Spirit of God will be with all of you, wherever you are and wherever you go. And this Spirit that's going to come has got a bunch of jobs. The first one is it's going to come to convict. It's going to come and convict the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, they don't believe in Jesus. That's the biggest sin of all. They don't believe who Jesus is, who he said he was. It's going to convict people about that, so that they would turn to him, that they would come to him and they would repent and have faith in who Jesus is. They would believe his teaching. Convict them in terms of righteousness because the reality is we all stand unclean before God. That's a, an allusion there to Isaiah 64 where it describes our righteousness, describes it in really quite horrible gra- graphic terms as a, a bloody menstrual towel is effectively what it's saying. It's that that's what your righteousness is like. It's unclean before God. And we all stand unclean, and the Spirit will come and convict people of that, that when they stand before a holy, righteous, just God, they'll suddenly realize how unholy and unrighteous and unjust they are. And actually, that's what the Spirit will do, and it will come and convict people and cause them to turn, repent from their sins, come to know Him. And also, in judgment, it will convict people of judgment, because the devil is about to be judged in Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus will raise triumphant from the grave, exposing him judging him, and the world will all be exposed as well. That if they don't honor God as first, they will be under God's judgment. So that was the role of the Spirit. The role of the Spirit is also to guide in truth. The Spirit would come and guide you in all truth. It would guide you in truth about Jesus. He's actually described, he's called the Spirit of truth. What you've learned from me, he will reveal to you and keep revealing to you so you won't forget 
And there'll be this truth that you will know, you will learn. All the time Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it will remind you of those things. Ever wondered how John, writing many years later, wrote his gospel, things he remembered? The Spirit of God revealed it to him so he could write it down for our benefit. He will guide them. He will lead them. He will teach them, and he will bring them revelation. It also says last year, the Spirit, what will the Spirit do? He will glorify me, glorify Jesus He's saying the role of the Spirit of God is to come and convicts the world, tells them where they stand before God. He'll guide you in truth to communicate about me, about Jesus. And ultimately, his role is to bring glory to Jesus. The Spirit is active, the Spirit is working. I will be glorified, Jesus is saying. My name will be glorified. You will know more about me. So there's the role of the Holy Spirit. Second, we move on. We have the role of the Son. The role of the Son in all this Jesus has been trying to teach these disciples. They're clearly confused by what he's saying. They have no frame of reference for a Messiah who's going to come and die. Because that's what's going to happen. We know that. We've seen the end of the story. And he says to them, look, you're going to... And he, get, he, I think he tries to explain it. You kind of want to laugh. He tries to explain it, but ends up confusing them more. In a little while, you're not going to see me. Why? He's going to die. He's going to get arrested. He's going to die. He's going to go into the grave. He said, but after that, you're going to see me. And you're like, what? So I'm not, we're not going to see you, but then we are going to see you? They're saying, so yeah, because, but they, afterwards, Jesus already said, it's going to make sense afterwards, but he's trying to communicate to them. In a little while, you're not going to see me. I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to die on a cross in your place for your sins. And you're going you're to be de- devastated. But after that, three days later, it's going to be, surprise, I'm back. You are going to see me. And it's going to be, it says you're, you're going to have joy. It's going to be amazing. And the image he gives, I have to be careful with this image, but this is the image he chose, was a woman giving birth. That's the image. I've seen this twice, up close and personal. Um, and the process of giving birth, from my observation, is an arduous and difficult time. It can be painful and all those things. Um, but he says, actually, there is a, a, a level of pain that's going to come, and you're going to feel it. And if you ever have the privilege of seeing a woman in labor, there is a level of pain and suffering there. He says, but after that, after that intense pain, there will be joy that will be with you forever. That joy you're going to know. And I, I checked this out with my wife before, I, before I, I spoke this morning. I said, look, you know, you've had, you had, we've had two boys and they said, tell me what that was like. He said, oh, it was labor, very, very difficult. He said, but it's nothing to having them in our lives afterwards. Nothing. Even the moment when the child is presented to you, when our son Levi was born, our first son, and Mel then got to hold him, and it's like kind of job done. She said, even at that moment, it was all forgotten, all the pain, all the suffering, all the kind of the hardship of labor, because actually you've received the child at the end. And she said... It was like that. That's why I did it again. If it was that bad, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have had a second child. It would have just been no. Um, but we did. And so Jesus is using that image to say, actually, it's going to be really, really tough for a while. And as we go through the story, we'll see that, that there's going to be a tough time when Jesus is going to, their Messiah is going to be crucified, falsely accused, beaten with an inch of his life, then murdered in the most cruel way possible. And they'll have those days of mourning and lamenting, he says, and just questioning everything but when they see him again on that resurrection morning when he appears before them he's alive he says 
you're going to have joy like you won't even believe it. It's going to be incredible. And that joy will last forever. It will, it will never leave you. You're going to have that. And that's what it's going to be like. And he says, and Jesus says specifically, he says, so I'm going to go away and then I'm going to come back and see me and you'll have this joy. He says, but also he says, I'm going to open the way to the Father. I'm going to bring access to the Father. And he actually starts saying, actually, you can start through me. You've always come, up till now, you've come to me. I've been here. I've been the person you talk to. You've got questions. I've been the one you've been finding. He says, but actually, now, after my death, you're going to have access to a heavenly Father. What's beginning is a new way of bringing access to God. I'm going to make something open that was previously closed, and you're going to be able to come and meet your Father in heaven. You're going to have a heavenly Father. No longer is it going to be kind of this distant, remote figure of God, unapproachable, you are now going to be able to enter in to that place and meet with your Heavenly Father. God the Father, you will have access to Him through me. He says, you pray in my name and you will have access to God because of what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring that relationship, that connection to you. And then that moves us on to the Father. Jesus is... Um, talking to his disciples, and they, they think they've got it, but they, they kind of they mess it up at the end. They think, oh, yeah, we've got it, and actually, clearly, they haven't, they, they haven't said it. But Jesus says some staggering things about the Father. He says, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. You've got a heavenly Father who, who loves you and is for you. And the whole motivation behind what has happened through Jesus' life to this point and what is going to happen in the next few chapters is the love of God for his people and wanting to have a relationship with them. If we go back to the beginning, in the garden, what was it all built around? It was built about a relationship between man and God. So that he walked, um, God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what it was like. And then sin came and everything got shattered. You know, relationship between man and woman got shattered, shattered, man and man got shattered, man and creation got shattered. But the biggest thing above it all was our relationship with God was shattered and it has been broken ever since. Jesus comes and says, I've come to restore that. I've come to make that right. And the theme of the, the Old Testament running into the New Testament is God wanting to restore relationship with his people. To have a people for himself that he can love and that are his treasured possession, and, and he, can just, he can kind of just love on them as much as he can. And Jesus is saying, that is what I'm here for. I'm here to open that way to bring access. You're going to have access to your Father in heaven. And Jesus even told um, a parable to underline this point. It was in um, Luke 15. It's not in this gospel, but the parable, the famous one, the prodigal son, where the son is rebellious, and he goes off, squanders his father's wealth, and, and then comes to his senses and tries to come back. And what's the reaction of the loving father? The loving father throws off all you know, first century Jewish dignity and runs to his son, his wayward son, and, and catches him up and says, I love you. The son I thought was lost has now come back to me. You know, kill the fatted calf, put a robe on him. And he welcomes him in. And that is the, the outrageous love of the father for his children, for his people. And Jesus is saying, the father loves you, his disciples. The ones who are staying there, they're all about to leg it. Bear in mind, Jesus is the beloved of the father. And all of them are about to leave him. But he still says, God loves you. The father loves you. He he wants to know you, wants to come and have a relationship with you. And so there's the role of the Father in it. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he prays 
uh, for them are words of encouragement, words of hopefully to get them through this last time. He says, you're going to have trials in the world. The world's going to be difficult, but I have overcome the world. Have faith, have courage that actually in me you can overcome these trials, these tribulations. So let's have a look at a little bit of a relationship. Oh, sorry, a little bit of application for that. Relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. We serve one God. One God, but he's expressed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each person being fully God. And as, uh, as we relate as believers, we are to relate to all of them, to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? He said, our Father. So we relate to God as Father. If we look at how we do that, the Lord's Prayer how do we relate to you? We relate to God's Father. And, he touched, and Jesus also said, he said, our Father. There was a collective, there's a family thing to it. We all relate to God as Father. He is a wonderful, loving, perfect Father who delights in his children. And we have freedom of access. If you're a believer here, you've become a Christian, you've repented of your sins, you've put your faith and trust in you, you have free, unfettered access to your Father in heaven. And he delights to hear you. Whatever you want to talk to him about, whenever, whatever you want to bring before him, he loves you. And what's better, he's a perfect father. He's not imperfect father like all the fathers in this room and in this world. We all have our imperfections. Some of you have experiences of fathers that are just terrible. Some of you have um, expressions of fathers that are, you know, okay. And some of you even have good experiences of fathers. But even them, they're, they're not perfect. But we have a perfect heavenly father that we can come and relate to. And he wants to get to know you. He loves you, and you can just come in at any time and speak to him. If you, if you want an example, just look at all the kids here when they come back in and how they deal with their parents, particularly their dads. Just so you know, if you take my two, they couldn't care less about anyone else. They couldn't care less about you or what's going on. If they want dad, they get dad. They either get it by yelling at me, daddy, 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 daddy. It's usually Levi's kind of way of doing it. Ash just grabs me and keeps pulling me until I give his attention. And they just, they have that unfettered access. I could be having a very deep and important conversation with any one of you about high, lofty spiritual matters, which is usually what we talk about. If my kids want me, they don't care. They don't care what I'm doing. They just want dad. And they come in. So we have that kind of unfettered access. We can come and talk to dad. And the best thing is that dad isn't, God isn't like me as a dad. He's never busy. He's never like later. I've done that. Like, boy, just I'm in the middle of something. I can't. I can't come right yet for whatever reason. And sometimes they're good reason. But God is never like that. He wants to know you, and He wants to talk to you right now. And He's never too busy. It's not like look, I've got 5.999 billion other people to deal with. You just got away. No, He's God. He can deal with it, he can cope with it, and you have an opportunity to come to your father at any time to bring any requests, to bring anything. Whatever you're dealing with in life right now, whatever is weighing on you, whatever is kind of you know, gnawing away at you, whatever you just want to pour out before him, this is your opportunity to do it. You can do it now. I'll just keep rabbiting. You, know, you can tune me out. I'm sure some of you have done that at times. You can talk to your father even now. We're going to worship in a minute and we're going to be singing and praying. If you've got things on your heart to talk to your father in heaven about, do it. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father, it covers pretty much everything. You can have needs that are kind of spiritual in nature, emotional in nature, physical in nature. God wants to hear about them. He wants to listen to you. He wants to kind of respond to whatever it is. So don't, don't 
Don't trivialize that access to the God of heaven as a father who loves you and wants to talk to you. What about God the Son? Jesus Christ was the perfect sinless Savior, the perfect sacrifice. He came to earth as a man, fully God, fully man, walked the earth, led the perfect life, taught all the things he did, performed all the miracles that we've read about, then he died on the cross in our place for our sin. Our rebellion before God, a perfect, holy, righteous God, all the things that we've done, all the things that we haven't done that we should have done, works both ways, all the things we've we've sought to offend him in the way we've lived our life, our rebelliousness towards him, our denial of him. Jesus died on the cross to deal with all of that because all those things are wrong, put us under righteous judgment. We were guilty before a holy God and we deserved punishment for that, just like when you've done anything wrong, you deserve punishment, that's part of it, but we were shown mercy and grace and Jesus was punished in our place for our sins so we don't have to face that one day which is why it's called the gospel which means good news (laughs) that's good news the punishment you deserve you don't have to face and if you're a believer here you need to accept this joyfully (laughs) this is wonderful this is worth singing about this is why we like to sing it's worth declaring praises to God it's worth giving him the glory it's worth just being being overwhelmed by and I know for most of this is hard we're English you know, I'm sorry, but this is still something we should get excited about. We have been forgiven, which means all things we want have been dealt with, have been pushed away. The, the Bible says we've been justified, which means we've been declared not guilty. We've been cleansed. That means that unrighteousness, which was like a, a pollution, a dirt on us, has been taken away. And it says we now stand before God holy and righteous. You always knew you were holy and righteous, didn't you? Well, you are, really, you are, before a holy God. You can, that's why you can come into his presence easily, boldly. And we're being transformed day by day into the image of Christ. He's working on us. And we've been given unfettered access to our Father in heaven. Anytime, any place. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what has gone in your life. We can have that because of Jesus. If you're not a believer here, then I submit to you, Why not? <laughs> This is good news. It's a win-win-win situation. If you're in there and you want to ask more questions or you want to talk about, I'd love to chat with you about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means to put your faith and trust in him and what it means to kind of follow him all the days of your life. It is wonderful good news. So we love the son. That's why we sing about him. That's why we bring glory to him. That's why we talk about him all the time. It's all about Jesus in this church. If it ever changes, we have a problem. But we want to make it all about Jesus. And the last one, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. Why? So the Holy Spirit can come and be with each of you forever. Each of us. Not just when we meet together here, midweek meetings, prayer meetings, whatever. But actually, wherever we go, whatever we do, the Holy Spirit will be with us. He will convict us of things in our life that need to change, which is good. Things we've done wrong, we get convicted. He will, through us, convict the world around us, it says. Actually, our presence causes friction in the world just because we have the Holy Spirit, God, with us. Not necessarily anything we say or do, although that's part of it. Actually, just our presence in places 
convicts the world. That's why the Spirit is with us. That's the source of the opposition we looked at last week. Just having God with us causes friction because there's a world that doesn't serve him, doesn't love him, doesn't know him. It empowers us for service. Boldness, words to speak, praying for the sick, casting out demons, all those things by the power of the Spirit, Jesus is there. We're the same. We do it by the power of the Spirit. So the Bible tells us to be filled regularly, to pray to God, fill us in Ephesians, and to keep being filled, be men and women filled of the Spirit. And people who are full of the Spirit will glorify Jesus. They will love on Jesus. They will, they will do what they can to exhibit Jesus to others, to show him to others. And as we're going to pray and worship in just a moment, I'm going to pray to start that we will be men and women filled with the Spirit. And then we're going to give glory to Him. And I want to see us praising and singing and loving on Jesus, reading Scripture, prophesying, whatever you feel God's given to you. Let's do that. When you read daily your Bible, I hope you make a point of reading your Bible daily. If you don't, why not start with the Gospel of John? We're going through it. Read the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth, it says. Where do we find the truth? We find it in the Bible. The scripture I was reading this morning, and you're reading through passages I might have read before, but it's like, wow, I missed that. I hadn't seen that, or you know, I glossed over it in the past because the Spirit of God brought something out of it about Jesus. So let's be men and women filled with the Spirit. Let's just recap and we'll say, actually, do you want to stand up? I'm going to lead us and we're going to pray. We have such a privilege as believers to be men and women who have a heavenly Father who loves us and adores us, seeks to know us. We have a sinless, perfect sacrifice, Jesus the Son, who died in our place, who now rules and reigns victorious in heaven, who will one day return and take us to be with him forever. We have the Holy Spirit, God, who's with us now on the earth, working things out, building his church, empowering his people. This is something to get excited about and something to... Something to hopefully fill our hearts today. So let me just pray through that. And if you want to be in a position to be filled with the Spirit, maybe you want to open your hands, whatever you do, to focus on God. If you're not a believer here and you want to take this opportunity to talk to God about that, maybe repent of your sins or put your faith in Him, tell Him you want to follow Him, do that. I'd love to hear about that afterwards just so we can help you through that process. Make sure that's gone okay.